This is the day the Lord has made. Let us chill in it and be glad. Yeah, you betcha. Well, good morning and welcome to Chorus Church. We're glad that you're here. This is a, another great opportunity for us just to come together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to worship Him. My name is Carrie, and uh, if you're new this morning, I want to say welcome. Thanks for checking us out, and hopefully this is a place that you can come to call home, part of your family, if the Lord so leads you. And uh, there is a communication card that's in your program, if each of you'd pull that out, and uh, we fill that out every week, and uh, that way we can send you a bunch of spam. No, we don't do that. <laughs> we uh, just want to encourage you in any way that we can, if you have prayer requests or maybe a reason to praise and rejoice uh, this week in what God's doing in your life. And those uh, communication cards will be received at the end of the service when we receive the Lord's size and offering. So thanks for uh, doing that. We are... Um, in Christmas time, thanks for leading off with Hark the Herald Angels there, Chris. That was good. And uh, I told my staff this week that it's very important for us to not get caught up too much in the rush and the hustle and the bustle, but that we steward this month. This is Advent. Advent represents the coming of Jesus. And the season of Advent is our gift. Um, to one another to be able to walk through with a focus on Jesus Christ and a place of peace and rest and encouragement. But we have to work hard at that with all the responsibilities and things that are on our checklist and on the kids' checklist and that kind of thing. So I want to encourage us just to keep that in mind as we share with one another during the course of this month that this is a gift of Advent where we worship the Lord and His coming. I uh, want to encourage us to uh, also consider turning out on Tuesday night, though, if you aren't busy. Uh, we had our first Tuesday p.m. a couple weeks ago. Tuesday p.m. stands for Tuesday Prayer and Mission. And so we had 30, 31 people, um, plus the dog, uh, here <laughs> on Tuesday night. And uh, we're going to just have an open prayer time again, and there's no child care. But uh, if you can get that arranged or whatever or bring your kids with you if they want to be a part of that prayer time, we're just really seeking the Lord and what he's calling us to do afresh and new as a church to be on mission, and it begins in prayer. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more today, the whole mission of God and what he's calling us to. So that's what's up. We have Christmas Eve service coming. Uh, I had hoped. I actually thought I had done it well in advance. We had printed up uh, with a special printer 1,500 invite cards for us to pass out today for you to take to your friends and family and coworkers. But for whatever reason, UPS didn't deliver on time. So if, if they're here this morning, oh, well, somebody, thank you. Come get those for me. We'll pass them out. How's that? That is so sweet and good that then, then I don't have to call UPS or that printer guy. Okay. But these uh, com uh, invite cards are postcards that you can send or mail to somebody, but uh, the next two Sundays, as well as Christmas Eve, are sort of great times to invite friends and family. And so I want to encourage you to do that. What we'll do is we'll put those in baskets, and maybe when it gets to the latter part of service or whatever, we'll pass those around in baskets, and, and you can just take one or two or three or four or whatever, right? And uh, whatever ones we, we don't get rid of, we'll just you know start going door to door or something like that. How's that? And so we just want to encourage you that these next two Sundays, and Christmas Eve are great times to invite your friends. And uh, Bishop Bill Malik will be speaking at Christmas Eve service. He's here with us. <laughs> and because uh, uh, I will be home with family. But that'll be great. I tell you what, I have been looking forward to today for many reasons. I'll explain one later. But uh, uh, one of them is that um, I could introduce to you a gentleman and his family uh, that I just met a few weeks ago. Uh, now it seems like, though, uh, it goes back a couple years, I guess, when I first met him, though I didn't realize I was meeting him, and then he started showing up and attending this church uh, soon after I came, or before I came, I guess, and uh, he's a friend of Jeremy's, and uh, we uh, have gotten to know each other, and then uh, we've gone through some transition with some of our student ministry, and I got to know his heart a little bit on the heels of that, and discovered that he'd been in youth ministry some, and uh, he'd been a pastor, and he has a heart for reaching people for Christ, and he was right here in our body. And he and his family have been attending, and so I began connecting with him as well as some of the elders did and tried to you know, discern what God's plans were. 
And I sent out an email this week, and maybe that's why some of you are here, I don't know, but the, the email stated that we get the opportunity to enfold a new leader for our student ministry. And so I would like to introduce him and his family, if they could come up, all of them. So would you please welcome uh, Jonathan and Liz Mills, as well as Haley and Lexi. And I'm just going to have them come stand right here. Would you give them a warm welcome? And I just want Jonathan to give a, a word of greeting, and then I want us to pray for him and his family. Um, this is Lexi, and this is Haley, and this is Liz. And uh, Jonathan um, is going to be taking point uh, in our student ministry for uh, this next run, and he's going to enfold other volunteer leaders. He is not being paid. He's a volunteer himself, but he's a minister of Christ and has a deep heart, as I mentioned, for Christ. And so I want us to begin praying for this family and begin praying for a fresh start in student ministry. And I'm sure that uh, Jonathan will have his way around this body and interacting and talking with people. So, Jonathan, uh, share a few words. We're glad that you're here. Yes, sir. Thank you. <laughs> well, good morning. <clears throat> First of all, uh, I've been under attack ever since I said yes. <laughs> so it started, uh, I said yes Saturday, started on uh, Sunday real quick. Uh, with trying to get to church last week, got in the car, Liz's van wouldn't start, battery was completely dead, we loaded up in the Mini Cooper with a wheelchair sticking out the sunroof, got to service, that was a Sunday, Monday, <clears throat> Haley went to the hospital, uh, got called from school that she wasn't breathing, and so we started praying immediately, and some of you also started praying, and I want to thank you, because by the time she got from the uh, school to the hospital, her temperature was perfectly normal again, and she got released to go home that night. So that was great, and so on and so forth. And then up till now, I feel fine other than my throat will, is acting up. So, And I'm going to go teach th the second service. So anyway, but real quick, I just want to say thanks, Pastor Kerry, Jeremy, some of the elders and, and the staff here that made this all possible. Um, I do have a heart for ministry. That is true. I'm uh, 40 years old. I started in youth ministry when I was 18 years old. I've done a skate ministry that went around all the U.S. and some other states and countries building skate parks and reaching kids right where they're at. We've seen scars literally fall off cutting kids, you know, kids that cut themselves and some terrible things like that. We've uh, had an opportunity to uh, plant two of our own church campuses, one in Lake Elsinore and one in Menifee. We helped uh, Jeremy's buddy Tom DeSommer up at Vital Cross kind of do a kickoff a couple years back, or no, a year back, exactly. And, uh, I know Bill and some of the other guys over at the CMA, and they're great people. We're just happy to be a part of what God's doing here. But I just want you guys to know that the days of complacency are going to be coming to an end, and we are going to stir things up. There will be an awakening in this valley like you've never seen before. I guarantee you it will come from the, from the kids that will rise up. And I, what I'm looking for from you, to be honest, are some fathers and some mothers to just sow in and love on these kids. Let them know. Sometimes, you know, they could just be out in the parking lot goofing off, and you can say something simple, like, that's a cool trick on your skateboard, and that kid's dad died two days ago. But because you came and said that, it make a big difference. So we're real excited. I want to uh, just thank my wife real quick, Liz. We've been married for, uh, it'll be nearly 16 years. She's had to put up with me for six years prior to that in dating, so uh, <laughs> you should give her a hand. <laughs> And, and people that know me know that that's actually not an exaggeration. <laughs> and then, of course, there's Lexi and Haley. Haley, we adopted. Um, we didn't know this, but after we adopted Haley, we found out she was missing 70% of her brain. But we are believing that God is re restoring and remaking all things new, that she's getting a new brain because she was blind. She can now see light and dark. She was deaf. She can now hear. And then two years after that, we released her to the Lord. We said, not our will, but your will be done. And then we were blessed with little Lexi that we weren't <laughs> supposed to have. So here we are. <laughs> so God bless. Thanks so much. Merry Christmas. You're going to go on an adventure with this man. Can you tell? And uh, I want us to pray for him now, but I want us to really covenant to pray for him and our students. Uh, you've heard me share already just in the few weeks that I've been here that student ministry is pretty critical, I believe, for us as a church. And if it wasn't for a student ministry, I wouldn't be in ministry where I'm at today. But God got a hold of my heart because uh, the Lord came down and started to move amongst a young group of people I was a part of many, many, many years ago. 
So I'm going to invite you to stand right now and extend your hands down. If you feel led, maybe as a leader, as a parent, uh, just to come and gather around them, uh, we're just going to lay our hands on them and pray for them. Our Lord Jesus, a moment in time, we live by your divine instruction. Lord, we are so grateful that uh, you brought Jonathan and Liz, Lexi and Haley to us uh, to be a part of our church family. And now, Lord, we just lay our hands upon them to, again, freshly commission them in your kingdom's work. Lord, we believe that um, you're going to use their lives to mobilize us and mobilize our students in a way that we've not seen before. And we just pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment as they reorder their lives to give sacrificially of their time and their talents and even their treasures. Lord, we pray that they would find themselves um, truly basking in the joy of the Holy Spirit as they lead us into sensitivity with the Holy Spirit to press forward in the kingdom's work. And so, Lord, may your blessing reside upon them, a double portion. Lord, may they find true home and fellowship here, and Lord, may they find the joy of their salvation afresh and anew as they serve you in all they do and say. Lord, may we as a body covenant afresh and anew to be able to be a people that move forward with an eye to children, to students, and Lord, to emerging leaders for your kingdom's work. Lord, we know that students are not uh, the future, the students are the present, and so we ask that you would call up young men and women. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Lord, these years are so critical. It's such a small window of opportunity to challenge them and to see them walk into the beginnings of a vibrant, fresh relationship with you. Lord, we pray that you would call out our kids for your kingdom's glory. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray together in these moments, in this season. In your name we ask. Amen. 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 Thank you much. I'm, I'm going to do something really embarrassing. If you're a student in middle school or high school, would you stand right now? And yeah, do it. Why, you know. All right. These are some of our kids that we're praying for. And um, you guys can have a seat. Thanks. Um, Jonathan is going to be meeting uh, with all the students, uh, second service uh, next door. So if you guys can hang around for that, that would be sweet. Um, but they're going to join us for worship. And then they will be having their student ministry on a weekly basis on Sunday mornings. For now, they may move it to some other kinds of plans. Again, he's just starting, and so he's pulling the team around him. But uh, beginning this morning, second service, fresh and new, middle school, high school, and they renovated a little bit. They cleaned up and did some stuff in the student room, which is the next building over. So thanks. That's cool. And I also want to say, especially if you are a lady in here and you participated, I guess there was a garage sale a couple months ago and you raised some monies for student ministries, and I'm able to gift uh, Jonathan a $250 Visa card to be able to use in student ministry. So thank you very much, ladies, for your effort in that. All right. I don't need this mic, I guess. This is a different day. And you're going like, what's new with you, Bowman? Every day sort of seems to be different when you come. <laughs> Today I want to share with you um, a challenge that I've never um, directly shared with a body before. And I'm not all that clear on where this is going. Sometimes that happens with adventures. You set out on a course, and you know you need to chart a course, but you're not quite sure how the whole journey is going to go. And so this is not going to be um, a one-and-done kind of talk. This is actually a first of what will end up being several talks over the course, I believe, of years 
where we as a church family come around the family table to talk um, vision and heart and what we need to be doing as a body. I've been building it over the last few weeks, and today sort of culminates a lot of that. And the difference about today is I want to talk about um, something very practical that I want to see us start to do as a church family. And this may be out of your comfort zone. It may be right in the middle of your comfort zone. But as we unpackage it this um, morning, I just ask you to um, give me grace because this is not going to be like some big, you know, knock it out of the ballpark kind of talk. It's sort of more of a locker room kind of talk. And it's a locker room talk to some degree um, after we've really lost bad. Um, my son Ryan and I uh, were driving last night, and he goes, Dad, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. And I said, why? He says, well, you sent out that email, man. It was one of those emails where you're like, man, i got to be there. You know, what are you, you going to really wow us all? What's the vision and that kind of thing? And I went, no, I wanted everybody to be there. I want everybody to meet Jonathan and Liz, and I wanted to have this talk. But I walk into this talk knowing that it's not all that put together because um, this is a work in progress in my own heart, and it's a work in progress for us as a church. And so if you truly can, just envision yourself, even if you're new, you're pulling yourself up around a family table or we're sitting in the locker room, and the loss that we've gone through is I don't think churches do a very good job of what God called us to do these days. In some ways we do, but I think that uh, we have... Um, yet to see what God wants to do um, through a body fully 100% devoted and committed to his purposes and will uh, in our community. And for that purpose, I ask that you would just be sensitive to the spirit and in the process of listening to whether I'm the coach or Jesus is the coach, whatever. We just need to have talk. You okay with that? Let's pray. Lord, Jesus, I wish that you were here in physical presence to be able to share with us. But I know that you're here through spiritual presence to impart to us a wisdom as a body. These are the beginning days of what I believe are many great things for you. They may be challenging days for us, but Lord, your glory is at stake. And your heart is broken for a people for a people that are far from you this very hour. And so we ask that you would sensitize our hearts to your spirit's movement in this valley, and you would sensitize our hearts to what we need to be doing as a church, whether with children, students, or with adults. And so to that end, Lord, we lift to you our prayer and our praise. Amen. Well, you can... Um, you can call me a weak person, or you can just call me um, a heartbroken father, but I didn't make it. I was supposed to have seven weeks between when my family came and when I was going to see them at Christmas, and I didn't make it. I found cheap airfare the week after Thanksgiving, and I flew home for a couple days, and my family all says hi. <laughs> And uh, I tell you, it was, it was a worthwhile trip, sort of what expedited it. I thought, you know, by back of my mind, I'm fine. And then two weeks ago, my son, Zach, calls me, and he says, I just picked up Levi, who's my 14-year-old special needs boy, out of his resource classroom. And he says he was in tears. Levi never cries. What's going on with Levi? He gets in the car. He's driving Levi home. He thinks Levi's missing dad, so he gets him on the phone. Actually, they do a FaceTime thing with that, you know, iPad he's got. And he's all in tears, puckered up, and he can't explain himself very well. And I'm like, don't do this to me. <laughs> right? I said, you know, come on here. And so I said, Melissa, find out what's wrong with him and then call me back. Well, they find out what's wrong with him. And apparently something happened at school with Levi where either he tried to read because he does this picture reading thing or somebody told him a story about a panda bear who had a great mommy, but the panda bear didn't have a daddy. 
and he was missing me. And he's trying to put two and two together. I thought we were moving to California. We went to California, but I didn't see a house. I didn't see my school. Now I'm back in Indiana. And why isn't mom and dad together kind of idea? And okay, if you say we're moving to California, if that's the plan, what about my brother Zach, who he likes a lot? Is he staying back in Indiana to finish out school? All these things. And so I said, I just need to go see my family. And so I got in an airplane, and I went to see my family. And I tell you what, if you think it's cold here, it's not anywhere near what it is back there, okay? Made me want to come back here. No, I loved it because uh, what I went for was uh, to see them, and to see them uh, in particular, they had a big Christmas concert where all the bands and the choirs get together and have one of those Christmas extravaganza, spectacular kind of productions. And, and uh, we went to that, and uh, then we came back, and it was two different nights, Thursday and Friday night. And Thursday night we come back, and all that snow came in that you read about when you watch the weather for the rest of the world. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, we got three inches, four inches of snow that came down, and, and, and Friday night we had the real fire going and watched Santa Claus 2 and with the kids, and I'm like, yes, I needed this big family hug so bad. So uh, if you find out what, you know, I told my wife, don't Facebook anybody doing this stuff. I just want to flip home, spend time with family. Then I did because family is valuable and it's very important to us, and I think a lot of times how many people don't have the riches and the joys of that and maybe you're here this morning and you don't have that. Well, let us be your family to you. We're going to be talking about that. But I found it interesting. I'm sitting on the second night up in the grandstands, I mean, up in the mezzanine area of this huge auditorium. What's it seat, Ryan? About 2,000 people in the Performing Arts Center there in Zionsville, Indiana. And uh, my kids are up there. They had 550 students all together at the end performing uh, these Christmas songs uh, from the orchestra and the band and the choirs. And I'm, of course, I'm looking, where's my little boy Levi at? Because, you know, Levi's in the men's cadet choir, the freshman choir, and before I know it, they all turn around the back row as they're trying to get ready, and they pull a kid up from the backside and plop him in with a Santa hat on. I go, oh, there's Levi, and there's Zach over there. And uh, we're, we're just uh, enjoying the season. And I thought, you know, isn't, isn't it interesting how we as parents can have all these people but yet our eyes are focused on our kids. We really don't care about the rest of the kids too much. We might spot them here and there, but we want to see our kids. And our heart is endeared to our children. And I was thinking about how God is like that. God is the heavenly father. And we don't have the capacity to look at every kid and say, oh, that's our kid and I love that kid. But God has that capacity to see everyone and go, oh, man, he's so special. Look at that little Santa hat on there. I don't even know if he's singing the words, but, you know, he's, he's my kid, right? And our hearts endear to that. And, and here's this large celebration of worship going on. And then I thought to myself, well, you know, it's, it's interesting because you think about how God must view us as his children, and that's very true. But when it comes to a big celebration like this, and thankfully the high school that uh, we've been a part of is, is a high school that sings some religious songs sometimes, songs that might have the word Christ in it, which is pretty cool, right? And so, because that's the reason we have Christmas, right? Christmas. And so we uh, are, are there with this big celebration. I think, you know, but this really ultimately reminds me of what it will be like when we are in heaven together. And there's people from different kinds of stripes and walks of life, and we're there worshiping the Christ and the one who is to be adored is not us and not our own children, though we adore them. And that's part of the God image. The one to be adored is Jesus Christ himself. And my mind flashed to the book of Revelation. And maybe you're familiar with the book of Revelation as it starts out. I want you to turn to Revelation 5. In Revelation 5, you find this picture. Revelation 5 says this, verse 6, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, with our, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Now, it's hard for us to comprehend this picture, but we need to climb into it because it's something we're going to experience someday if we're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning. 
You talk about a performing arts center filled up. You know, the all of heavens are filled up for this grand event. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. We are a part of a movement. The movement that we are a part of is a movement towards heaven, towards worshiping the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. And though we have this little microcosm of a few years that we're being given here, 60, 70, 80, 90, if God so, so blesses us, we are eternal beings that he created. And he desires for us to usher, be ushered into the presence of his throne so we get experience all of ultimate reality. This world is reality, but it's not the full reality. And so we see in Revelation this incredible auditorium filled with people from every tribe, language, nation, and people worshiping the lamb that was slain. And I want to encourage you this morning that whether you're on the outside looking in or maybe you're a nominal believer or something, you don't want to miss that extravaganza and that spectacular moment. So we are inviting people. You know, I can invite cards will go around, invite them to services and all that. That's all cool. But ultimately, we're inviting people into the throne room of the heavenly realms for us to be able to live eternally with God in a new heaven and a new earth. And we've talked about this, that the, the message we have to offer, the message of hope, is the reign of God, the kingdom of God, the full gospel of the kingdom. And so what we do is just not get people saved or get them over their sinful habits or try to, to build in them the right behavior to be good citizens in this world. We are calling people into this eternal reality of the kingdom of God. And when Jesus came and he announced the kingdom is at hand, repent and believe, he said a slice of that which is eternal is now in our present world. And it's here because my reign is here. My kingdom is here. Jesus, King Jesus, is present to begin making changes. And so you and I as believers in Christ and us as a body of people and all the other uh, evangelical bodies in this valley and in the southern part of California, we are a part of a movement of God. And so we enjoy this journey. And we submit ourselves in a fresh way to be a part of what God is doing. I used this quote last week. I think it's, it's a quote that sort of turns the angle at which um, we need to look at what we do as a church. And it says this. It's the Archbishop of Canterbury. It is not the church of God that has a mission. It's the God of mission that has a church. If you keep that up there, the distinguishing mark of this um, centers around this. We do not program special events or activities that are called mission work. We do not just give money to do a uh, global mission effort, the Great Commission Fund, which sends out alliance missionaries around the world. It is not some silo activity that exists over here that we as a church control and we have, oh, we got children's ministry, students' ministries, women's ministry, oh, we got missions here. No, it's not that the church of God has a mission. The mission comes from a God who is in the journey of inviting people into his kingdom's work. And so the God of mission comes back and uses us as a church. So then we humbly submit ourselves to all that he is doing. And so this is something that happens on our knees. That's why I like the Tuesday p.m. prayer and mission time is so critical for us. It's something that happens with open hands as we serve God. It's something that we offer our voice to bring words of encouragement to people. We join together in relationship. We are on God's mission because he is a missionary God. Jesus 
incarnate, come in the flesh, the advent we celebrate, Jesus was a missionary. And if you want to be a follower of Jesus this morning, whether young or old, you are called to be a missionary. And so we better circle up in our family time and figure this out. How do we best go on God's mission together as a people? And how do we submit ourselves to be missionaries in our world? Because this deal is not about us. It's not about this church becoming bigger and fuller, though that, by God's grace, will happen. This deal is about bringing people into the kingdom of God, to an ultimate movement where he rules and reigns. And we humbly submit ourselves to be his instruments. The God of mission has a church. Does the God of mission have you? reason I'm excited about student ministry, as I know one of Jonathan's hearts is to get students to make sure God has them. And it has them not just so they turn out to be nice kids, but that God has them so that he can use them. You want to light up a student about something that's more powerful meaning than sports and video games and, and social gatherings? You get them lit up about being a part of the kingdom's movement, and they'll give their life for that. The expulsive power of a competing passion, I sometimes call it. People get passions for all different kinds of things. Some of them things are very difficult and challenging and addictive kind of things. But you give them a challenge about the kingdom of God and the power that you have through the Holy Spirit to serve his kingdom, and you, I believe you will light a kid up. And they will not be someone you have to worry about as a parent because they're in the hand of God. So we want kids to be missionaries. I remember, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, when I watched the slides from the missionaries that would come to my church, oh, do I have to be a missionary? Well, that was a good environment for me to be in. I thought God would kill my joy and make my life not very meaningful if I had to be a missionary in some faraway land. I didn't realize that God had my perfect wholeness in mind and my happiness in mind and the best way I could find that happiness was to be a missionary. I didn't land overseas. I landed in the United States. I landed in the Midwest and now I've landed in Southern California. My identity is the same. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ uniquely disguised as a pastor or not but I'm a missionary. Does he have you to be a part of his mission? There's a verse that's in this Revelation 5 passage. It says this in verse 10. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. This is a corporate movement, and you and I are right there. We are being made to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. There's another passage um, of Scripture that's listed on your note sheet. And that passage is found in Peter. It says this, next verse. You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Take the word you are and then take the next phrase that you may. This is who you are. It's who we are as a people. We are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood, a priesthood. If you come out of a Catholic background, maybe you understand this, but the priest was the intermediary between God and man, right? Jesus is the great high priest, right? And so we are able to mediate between common, ordinary people and God himself. He's choosing to use us. We are a royal priesthood. We have been chosen. We've been picked by him. We're a holy nation. We're God's special possession. This is who we are so that we may declare the praises of him. This is who we are so that we may. 
not only eternally, but today. And there's a Protestant phrase, and this goes back against the Reformation era, and when, you know, the whole challenge of Catholicism, that kind of thing, do you really need a priest to pray through a priest? Do you have to pray through saints? No, you don't. When Jesus died on the cross, there was a six-inch veil between the outer place and the Holy of Holies, and that veil was rent in two from top to bottom miraculously, which means that we have divine access into the very presence of God. That's a pretty scary thing when you think about it, if you come with disrespect and irreverence. But what a beautiful thing to realize we have access to come to the very presence of God. And so we pray through Jesus because he is the one who intercedes for us. Through his spirit, their groans of words cannot express. So we do not need a priest. Jesus is our high priest. We come to him. But then this scripture says you are a royal priesthood. Well, what does that mean? Well, that doesn't mean that other people need to have a priest or necessarily go through you. But it means that we as a people... We are this, we are a priesthood of believers. And so the Protestant movement talked about not the priest you have to go to confess to, but that we are a priesthood of all believers. And so we have to dig into an understanding that this is who we are. We are missionaries, we are priests, we are intercessors, we are people that connect people to God. And that is what we are called to do day in and day out through all different kinds of means. And now, when we do this, we need to understand that it's not some high lofty thing, but it's a very personal thing. Jesus still walks this earth through his spirit today. He sent his spirit to be with us. Remember, we've talked about this before. After the resurrection, he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. And he said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. It's a very intimate kind of experience where Jesus walks this earth through his spirit and he picks you and chooses you as part of a chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession. He picks you. He picks your family. He picks your small group. He picks the community of friends you have to send you out to be the priesthood of people to a nation and to a community that is hurting and is broken. And so this is our identity. And so we step into it with full commitment. And we as a church will not be focused internally. We will be focused externally. I um, had my first staff meeting, you know, a few weeks ago. At my first staff meeting, I challenged them uh, to be a church that we could turn inside out. In fact, that particular day, I wore my shirt inside out. And I sat there in staff meeting the whole day, well, for the first few minutes, I guess, with my shirt inside out and didn't say a thing. It wasn't too noticeable. But I got to this particular point to challenge us as staff to lead a church that's an inside-out movement. And I finally said, you know, my wife's not around to dress me, and so sometimes I get things wrong. And I think my shirt's inside out. And uh, one of the staff people went, oh, my goodness, you've noticed. You, 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 did you do that on purpose? Because I'm just sitting here, and it's driving me crazy, Carrie. Your shirt's inside out, right? And I said, yes, I purposely did it. My shirt's inside out. And so I took off my shirt. And as I took off my shirt, you have to excuse me with this thing here. Whoa. I took off my shirt, and I said, we are going to turn this church inside out. And yes, my shirt's right side out today. I didn't want to bug you that much. And I said, we are going to do... We are going to do whatever it takes to be on mission with God, to be the priesthood of all believers, and to take his gospel to a broken world. Whatever it takes. And this is sort of my attitude, whatever it takes. I want to look at a passage of Scripture real quickly in Luke 10. And we will come back to mind this Scripture in the future. But this Scripture is Jesus coming to the people, his followers in a very intimate way, grabbing a hold of their life and saying, I want you to be a missionary. I want you to be the priest of all believers. You are this, so that you may bring glory and praise to me. Luke 10. 
After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he's about to go. He told them, look at this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, the missionaries, the priests are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, church, therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. We're going to be praying about that on Tuesday night. We're going to ask. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Why, thank you very much. It's not easy. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. In other words, don't get distracted by everything that's around you in life. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. <clears throat> means shalom. Is the Hebrew word shalom, peace. Peace upon this house, it's a greeting. If a man of shalom, a man of peace is there, your shalom, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this. Here's the phrase. What did Jesus say when he first came? He said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. He's now sending out his missionaries, his 72 and many others he did. And he says this. The kingdom of God is near is what you need to tell them. His presence, his reign is near. I tell you, it is more bearable in that day for Sodom than for that town. Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And at that time, Jesus, you talk about one happy man full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one who knows the Father, no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Don't you, like, want to be a part of that little 72 group? Oh, cool, man. Oh, like lambs among wolves. I don't know about that part. But, yeah, let's go. And they go and they see people healed, they see people delivered from unclean spirits. They see the kingdom of God come near people who begin to turn their hearts to following Jesus Christ. They come back so pumped up and excited because they're participating with the God who is on mission. And as we participate with the God who is on mission, our lives will be full and they will be rich. It may not be easy, but there's going to be meaning. I don't care what you do today. You may be the most successful business person today. Praise God for that. You go at it, and you serve God in that. But I tell you what, don't find your ultimate identity in building any company. Find your identity in building the kingdom of God. Now, how are we going to do that? Just by having these pep rallies every Sunday morning? No. This is the part that's the journey for me. I believe God's calling us to restructure the church in a manner that he can use more effectively in a very diversifying culture in America. He did not send the 72 out as lone rangers. He didn't walk into a room like this and pick one person and then pick another person and say, Rob, I want you to head west. You know, and Ryan, I want you to, to head south. And Bill, I want you to head east. No, he put them together in teams. He had a structure to what was going on because he knew that there was going to be difficulty in this. 
Now, some of you are starting to worry that we're going to pair off in twos and threes and go door to door right now. <laughs> Take it easy. We're not. Remember what we said the other week? The Great Commission says, make disciples of all nations, of all people groups, but it said go and make disciples. But the go was an assumed going. As you go, you need to make disciples of all people. What I want us to do is restructure this church to be communities of people who are on mission together. I have four things I want to list for us. And we'll be coming back to these. We'll actually be doing some training and some interaction on these. The first is this. I want there to be a rhythm of gathering and scattering. Leslie Newbigin, who was a really great missionary who discovered that his own homeland had sort of lost the ability to be on mission together, back in the 50s, says this. The church is a movement. The church is a movement launched into the life of the world to bear in its own life God's gift of peace, shalom, for the life of the world. It is sent, therefore, not only to proclaim the kingdom, but to bear in its own life the presence of the kingdom. Remember last week we talked about how Jesus, healing healing the paralytic, there was the proclamation of the kingdom, your sins are forgiven, But then he turned around and he said, son, take up your mat and go home. There was the demonstration of the kingdom. The same thing that this missionary is saying in this statement here. That we are sent, therefore, not only to proclaim the kingdom, the proclamation of the message, but to bear in its own life the presence of the kingdom, the demonstration of the ministry. As we go, we are going to be doing these two things, the proclaiming and the presence, hand in hand. We will gather in moments like this to encourage, to champion, to worship, then we will scatter during the important part of the mission. And we're all scattered. Can you comprehend how many places all of us go during the course of a week? Think about it. Some of us drive long distance to work, right? Some of us interact with people that others in this room would never have a chance to touch. We scatter. We disperse, and we disperse as the presence of Christ to proclaim Christ. But as we scatter, we embody the very thing people should be attracted to, not repelled from. I have this term I use called ugly Christians. And I don't know why Christians feel they need to be ugly and gaudy and legalistic and judgmental. Christians... They were called Christians first because they were identified as people who were like Christ. And I don't think people would be repelled by Christ. There's an offense in Christ because he demands lordship, but the presence of Christ. I mean, Nelson Mandela passed away this week, right? All the affirming words of that man. I can't believe he was in prison for 27 years, and on his way out of prison he said he was not bitter. And he didn't talk about the people that put him in there for 27 years because he said, those people kept me in captivity for 27 years, and if I walk out of this prison and I hate them or have bitterness, they're going to continue to keep me in captivity. So he had kindness that exuded from him and not a root of bitterness. Look at what a great man he was. Well, can you imagine what Jesus was seen as? He was a great man. He was offensive to some, especially the religious elite. But if we are Christians, we are little Christ, then we take the presence of Christ with us, and we should not be ugly Christians. We should be beautiful Christ-like followers, and we don't need to wear it around as a badge on us. Let's show it through how we live. So we scatter. We gather and we scatter. There's a rhythm of back and forth doing this. The second thing is spirit-led missional communities. This is what I want us to consider structuring. They're not small groups and they're not the church a whole. It's sort of a mid-sized group I want us to start looking at developing. These are going to be spirit-led missional communities. And why a mid-sized group? Well, I believe a mid-sized group is necessary for a couple reasons. One, you have to be small enough to care for people being sent out. You have to be small enough to care, but you have to be large enough 
to dare, to take some risks for the kingdom of God. They say that there's four kinds of spaces in life. There's the, there's the intimate space of two or three people. There is the personal space of six to 12 people. That'd be like a small group. Then there is the social space of like 20 to 70 people. And that's where we find our primary identity at a lot of times in life. And then there's the public space of 70-plus people. This is a public space kind of thing. Some of you are in small groups, which are great. That's more of <clears throat> the, the uh, personal space. All right? Your marriage is an intimate space. Or if you're with a couple close friends hanging out for a night, intimate space. But I want us to have this social space where we have this identity of a community. And this is how I've put it. Spirit-led missional communities. Others have defined it this way. An extended family-sized group of 20 to 50 adults, students and children on mission together in obedience to the Spirit, seeking to demonstrate the gospel tangibly and proclaim Christ creatively to a pocket of people in everyday life. I envision someday for us to say that we have 50 missional communities that are operating during the course of the week, extended families on mission, Extended families on kingdom mission together. Oh, they don't necessarily meet every week and know every you know, personal detail of someone's life, but you have a team, and you are doing life, you are doing God's kingdom work together. And these missional communities, this is critical, are spirit-led. They're not programmed from the top down by the church leaders. They are people who are gathering and discerning what's God got for us right now. What's he saying for us to do in our neighborhood? I move to the next thing. The people of peace, relational networks. Remember that verse we looked at there? Luke 10, 5 and 6? Jesus. It's Jesus that gave this instruction. All right? This isn't just some, hey, here's Pastor Kerry getting, oh, here's a good idea. No, this is Jesus. And Jesus sends him out and he says, listen up. This is what I want you to do when you go. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be on this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest with him. But if not, it will return to you. And then it says, stay in the house, eat and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Now, what he's describing here is when they were sent into these communities, he would say, you find a man of peace. I want to say a people of peace. A man, woman, child, maybe a group of people. You find a people of peace that have shalom written them on them. One of those, they say they, they welcome you. What, what they do is they welcome you. A people of peace, a man of peace, is the person who welcomes you, receives you, listens to you, maybe even serves you, okay? And they respond to you. Everyone in this room have people of peace in our networks of relationships. We don't necessarily need to go knocking on doors. Is that wrong? No. But some of you are freaked out that that would be a terrible idea. That's not my personality. Well, Jesus knew that. He didn't tell them to go and find the hardest, most, you know, set against God kind of person in the town. He said, no, you go find people that have some receptivity to you. They may even like you. If you don't find anybody in that village, then shake the dust off your shoes and move on. I mean, it says the kingdom of God came near. The kingdom of God, the reign of God, the presence of God in you came near to them, and they didn't receive it. You don't have to need to have an ugly attitude about it. Just move on. Look for the people of peace in your life. And so we're going to learn as a body how to do that. We're going to learn in our missional communities how to pray about that. I was in a small group this past Monday night. Um, at the Pernakians, which was great, and they were sharing about a, a couple particular people they had a prayer burden for, and I went, oh, there it is. Those people have some receptivity because they've interacted with them, and they thought maybe they might come to church or something like that. I'm like, How cool is that? That's the people of peace. Let's start pushing out and discerning where the Spirit of God's working at. So there's a whole people of peace relational network piece. And then this is the last thing I want to state with this. And like I said, this is the beginning of a lot, I think, of talking. And doing. People development and deployment. Missional leadership. 
in the New Testament, do you know that they didn't have buildings? They didn't have budgets. They didn't have a lot of structure. Do you know what they had in the New Testament? When Jesus left, they left, they had two things. They had the power of the Holy Spirit that was left with them. And then they had the ability to multiply missional leaders, to see discipleship multiply. Those two things. And friends, they rocked the world. We need to find, and we need to train, and we need to multiply missional leaders. Missional leadership, radically committed disciples with both the character and the competency of Jesus, so they are actively discipling others. That's what Mike Breen says. And he's been down this journey a lot, if you ever want to read stuff on this world. The missional leaders, encouraged to hear from the Lord about a vision, given authority and power to do something with that vision. And then they have the grace to lead at least 20 to 50 people into mission together. So here's the deal. This is the family talk. We are on a journey to restructure this church. We will have a healthy rhythm of gathering and scattering. But we are going to multiply into spirit-led missional communities, which are like extended families. And those extended families on mission are going to enter into the world every day and look for people of peace they start working with, praying with, encouraging. And out of that, we're going to see God's fruit come about in a multiplication process. And God's going to raise up and train leaders, not in rooms and classrooms, but train leaders in apprenticeships and practicums all around us. And we are going to see a multiplication effort. I don't know if this church will ever become a huge church as it relates to a Sunday morning gathering. If so, that's fine. But I'm no longer defining success in my life as a pastor by how many people we can get in those chairs on a Sunday morning. I'm defining success by the fruit that's out on the street during the week of lives that are changed and transformed for the glory of Jesus Christ. How about you? I am weary of how we do church. And maybe it's because I've been in it for a while. I went back home. I talked to a couple people at that concert. And sure enough, one of the first questions, well, how big's your church? Well, friends, when you come from a church that was hunkering up close to 1,000 in attendance, and you're now at a church that's like 250 in attendance, there's part of you gets a little sheepish and wants to define your worth by how big the gathering is. I'm done doing that. I'm not saying that was wrong in how I lived my life prior, but I'm at a place in life that I just want to mobilize missionaries everywhere. And friends, it's just not me. I'm sensing this across the evangelical circuit. The church in America is changing because it has to change. We are losing the battle. And I think Jesus is saying, will you listen to me again? And he's wanting to send us out just like he sent the 72 out. His methodology was to fill us and empower us with the Holy Spirit to be a discerning people, and to multiply. To multiply Christ's followers at every turn. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know how fully this is going to be done, but I don't need to worry about that because it's your Spirit's work. It's not mine. Whatever it takes, Jesus, whatever it takes, turn us inside out. Make us a movement of multiplying missional communities that carry your presence into crevices and cracks all around our valley and our world. Lord, bless us as a people as we worship you. May we seriously entertain, even this moment, what your Spirit's speaking to us about that we need to do. Maybe it's some people of peace or a person of peace that we need to continue to build a relationship with. Maybe it's the willingness to become a missional leader to lead a group of 20 to 50 people on mission, however that may look. Lord, maybe it's us just getting our hearts right with you to offer our lives afresh and new as committed missionaries for your kingdom's service. Lord, may your will be done. We are so grateful this Advent season where you came into this world 
that you've come into our lives and you're coming afresh into our community as a church to move us out for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time. Chris is going to come and we'll do two songs, Chris. How's that? As he comes, I want to give a challenge. I believe God's calling me to work uh, more closely with some people who have a burden. Maybe you feel you have a gifting or a calling to be missional leaders and lead groups of 20 to 50 people, 20 to 70 people. The number really doesn't matter. It's something larger than a small group, but smaller than the whole of the church. A mid-sized community of people. On the back of your communication card, write missional leader, question mark, and I want to follow up with you, and we'll interact. We're beginning a trajectory as a church to be able to figure this out, and I believe God already is figuring it out going ahead of us that's placing that burden upon some of you to be missional leaders in this church body. So let's sing together, and as we sing during this time of worship, we're going to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well at your communication cards.